Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph and QBE Business Insurance. My name is Brian Moore and joining me in the studio is the former Wasps and England. Well, it says hooker here, but he might have hooked a few balls against Ed, but <laughs> it was a prop. Jeff Probin. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Brian. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Coming up on the podcast, we'll be speaking to... Rob Vickerman and Scott Britz to go over the weekend's Premiership action and the final round of the Pro 12 was also completed so David James will be updating us uh, on all the action in that respect. We've got rugby legends David Campisi and Gary Schofield to go through Super Rugby and Rugby League Super League uh, respectively. Nigel Owens is actually enjoying a Pro 12 awards dinner in Dublin so he won't be joining us uh, this week. Remember that uh, you can join us every week live on Facebook at 6pm. Just search for Telegraph Sport and you can listen to the whole show live via the Telegraph website. And please remember to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And please leave a review. Um, On with the show. We've got a number of questions which we're going to take. First of all, from uh, D. Ha, which is uh, at Medical Pug, which is one of the monikers, the sort of thing you get on Twitter. Welfare of players, what support is there for events like uh, that with the Young's Brothers and what could uh, we improve? Now, for those of you who don't know, um, Leicester Tigers scrum half Ben Young's has withdrawn from the British and Irish Lions uh, touring squad for New Zealand because of the fact that his uh, brother's wife who's been battling uh, cancer for three years, is now being told the devastating news that the illness is terminal and uh, he wants to be as close as he can to his brother and uh, uh, his wife. Now, I don't think you can do much in respect of of spouses and so on. All you can do is be as sympathetic as you can to the players who you know, make these decisions and are my Sincere um, best wishes and thoughts uh, go to both Tom and Ben. It's a terrible situation to have to deal with, and we just hope that you 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 can find the courage um, to you know to deal with it in the in the in the best way possible. Um, it's at times like these actually when you realise, however seriously you want to take a game, it is still a game. It is a game, yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I suppose what they're talking about really is the the mental help yeah. uh, because of the stress and the strains yeah. to a certain extent actually 
continuing playing, which they both did yesterday, yeah. um, is is one of the things that can help them because it yeah. actually focuses them on something different. Uh, now, obviously, there's professional help for people who are going through this sort of thing. Well, I spoke to Damien Hopley uh, last week of the RPA talking about the Lift the Weight campaign, which I think has been well-received and is very necessary. Um, the fact that players are being encouraged, as they are uh, in, uh, in other sports, and with the... Uh, think the um, the royal uh, aspect yeah, of yeah. this are going to look at uh, the fact that you need to be able to go and help people you need to be able to ask for help um, we've had singularly um, unhelpful corporation you know, um, um, things from Piers Morgan saying you know our Generation need to man up, which is a stupid, frankly, well, comment. It, it is, because um, unfortunately people yeah. do suffer from mental problems, mental, yeah. mental health problems, and uh, uh, sportsmen are no different than anyone else. You know, they no. suffer from them in, uh, in the same way. And, and also they, they suffer from them um, with, with, with in this respect, because people are um, well regarded because they're famous, because they're fated, because in certainly in football and, and the very higher echelons of rugby, they're well paid, that... Um, there's, a, there's a, a, a certain amount of people who almost say, "Well, you don't. What do you mean? You you, you can't be. You, you can't, can't be depressed. You've got a lot of money. You've got a lot of money. You know, yeah. or you, or if you are, you don't deserve to. You know, deserve well. it. I mean, which is a nonsense because, you know, money is has is no respecter. You know, it's no bar to to getting uh, mental problems. It, it, it bar one thing. It may well give you the wherewithal to um, purchase the treatment that you yeah, need. Yeah, that, and I understand that, but it doesn't stop you getting oh, no, no. getting I mean, the illness. Mainly the the illnesses of things like depression because you, you, you're the centre of attention and then suddenly it's all taken away. But there are all sorts of There are reasons. all sorts of things that go on around it. But anyway, um, you know, but, let, you know, let, let's, move, let's move on from that. Um, yeah. I think we've, we, we've covered that. Um, a question from Phil P. Um, unluckiest players to miss out on the line selections in their position... He's quoted Robshaw, Launchbury, Ringrose. Um, I would probably say uh, well, I would probably say Launchbury in terms of the performances yeah. they put in. Um, um, Robshaw unlucky in the timings because he just wasn't involved in Six Nations, and had he been, he may well have, you know, played as well as we know he can. And Ringrose. I think I would have picked Ringrose anyway. I think he's just he suffered um, from a lack of maybe. A, but the thing is, Warren Gatland, he's not been asked to grade these players. He's oh, been no. asked to pick a squad that he thinks he can work with to beat New Zealand. So he's not been asked for a beauty parade score. <laughs> so what do you what do you reckon the unluckiest player? Well, I, you know, you look at those. I, I think Alex Cuthbert's unlucky as well. I think he's he's suffered a bit from. That dropping on balls in Wales and things like that and getting blamed for England's mm-hmm. try. Um, but, you know, he's he's played quite well. I mean, he's played as well as George North has. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would appear that Gatlin's picking size. Mm-hmm. And so the smaller players haven't had a chance. OK, well, uh, the final question we're going to deal with is from uh, Pete Duckhouse, would you believe? If you could pick one player from a previous Lions squad to enhance the current one... Uh, who would it be? That's a good question, actually. It is a good question. I think the easy answer is Gareth Edwards, isn't it? Really? <laughs> well, you, know, you can't have no, I'm not, you can't have Gareth Edwards because that could be answered to every question. Well, he's a bit he's a bit old now. I must admit, yeah. you know. But <laughs> no, but look, bearing in mind, um, you know, Ben Youngs is now withdrawn, and, well, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. that's a good one. I actually was thinking possibly uh, with the centres as they are, Jerry Guscott. 
Yeah, yeah. Good call. Um, Will you John McBride? No, I think that we've got enough second rows. Yeah, but you, you need that motivator. I tell you what, Peter Winterbottom. Yeah, Winters. Oh, a proper, you know, a genuine old side, yeah. maybe. Yeah, Finley Calder. There, there are, look, there are lots of players. It's a good good question, that. I'd be interested to see what people you know, say online. If you could pick one player from previous Lions squad to enhance the current one, what would it be? So get your answers down. Uh, hashtag full contact. I've just thought of one. Go on then. Brian Moore. <laughs> yeah, all right. We could do they could do with someone who can hook a ball. Well that's yeah, fair enough. All right. Um let's 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 just move on, shall we? Um the premiership has drawn to a close and I've got some stats actually and they're quite interesting uh for a change. <laughs> Seven hundred and twenty five tries across this season is the most that's ever been scored since the tournament started. Eighty nine tries for Wasp is a club. Uh, a record for the club, um, no, not just the club, but he's he's a record for, for a, a club. club. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Christian Wade uh, has equaled Dominic Chapman's twenty-year-old try-scoring record is seventeen. Jimmy Gopeth, the leading point scorer, is two sixty-six. Freddie Burns has the best current kicking streak with fifteen on the trot, and season records most points in a match. Jimmy Gopeth twenty-five, most points in a match seventy for Was against Bristol. Biggest um, home win, 53. Uh, Bath, 28. Falcons, 5. I don't quite understand that. But uh, but anyway, the highest attendance, 77,567 for Quinn's Gloucester in December. Could could you, can you imagine, could you ever have predicted 10 years ago that you would get 70,000 70, 70, to a, a rugby game? For a club game, no. Yeah. You wouldn't have done, no. So I mean, it's a great result, and I mean, great marketing. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, let, let, let's face it: tickets are sold at advantageous prices. Not, but they're not; they don't need to give them away anymore. No, no. Uh, and uh, well, long may it continue. All, what I, what, what I would like to see is, I would like to see the popularity of the game continuing to grow at grassroots level because I think you know that's an equally, if not more, well, yeah, if not more important. Um, Aspect. Well, it may be that it works all right when you know more of these three G pitches come out. There's more use for other people going to rugby grounds. Uh, that might actually encourage people to go and watch the rugby. Mm-hmm. It might be, but um, it's, it's it's difficult because you've been on the RFU various committees for for a long time, and uh, it, people give the RFU a lot of stick um, because they're involved and they are the custodians of nearly everything, <laughs> um, and uh, they're an easy target to blame, but. How much do you think they are aware of the need to protect the uh, the grassroots game? Well, if I'm honest, I, I actually don't think they are. I think that they think it's self self perpetuating. All right, okay. Uh, I think that's that worrying. Actually, it is me. worrying. It is worrying. But if you look at look at what financing financing of the game, the RFU talk very much about funding grassroots rugby, but they don't. They don't fund grassroots rugby. Grassroots rugby doesn't get any direct funding from the RFU. Despite the fact they say they pay so many millions, they don't. Well, they do. Well, they do. They give, give, they give, they give loans. They give loans. Don't they give they? loans. Yeah, but they're facilities. loans. They're not funding. They're loans. Well, they, in terms of in terms of ground improvements, a lot of those are actually paid by their sponsors. Mm-hmm. I mean, admittedly, it's it's through the RFU, but it's their sponsors that's paying the money, not not the RFU and the money that the RFU generates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of the reason is it because basically the RFU funds professional rugby in England. Oh. Well, because there's not a single premiership club that would break even or make a profit no, if it wasn't for RFU money. Um, 
Well, but yeah, but that, but that, I, I, I accept that. But that's part of the deal, isn't it? That's part of the eight-year well, eight deal whereby they're compensated for giving the players to England. Well, there's and, the argument, you know, if you look at the Southern Hemisphere, for argument's sake, New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, they have central contracts. We mm-hmm. don't have central contracts. Yeah. So what, what, what the RFU does is it funds the professional game. Yeah. And, and if, if you had central contracts, then our premiership would basically be bankrupt. Mm-hmm. And even, even with the massive funding that they get, there are still a lot of clubs that have huge deficits, mm-hmm. and they're they're very very reliant on 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 their, on their sugar daddy looking after them. And if if they walk away, then those clubs will be in serious trouble. Yeah, we we we, we, can't, we can't afford. We don't we, want. We can't. No, we can't. We we, we want the grain to go, as you say. You got. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you look at it, when when leagues were sold to clubs many many years ago, most clubs were running five, six, seven teams, mm-hmm. and now in grassroots. You've got team, you know, you're lucky if, if a club has three teams. Well, that's true because I mean, I, I, I do a limited amount now of, uh, of afternoon speaking at, club, at junior clubs, but um, the fact is that that is a universal um, story when you go around them. They're all are saying that they run significantly fewer teams, yeah, and and that that's got to be worrying. I, I, I it's interesting to me the when the women's game, which is going to get a significant boost next year. With the Super League, um, when the women's game cracks the problem which it's got at the moment, which is when the girls can't play with the boys anymore after eleven because of physical differences, they often get lost completely because the nearest uh, clubs for the age groups that they might want to play in under elevens and under twelves either don't exist, yeah. or there's one in a town which is miles away. Uh, and then they don't have anyone else to play against because, you know, and they, they, uh, for an under-14 level, they've got a few teams, and under-16 more, and under-18 better. Once they crack that, that will be a significant thing. And I I, I just, I, it's all connected with me. The minis and the women's game, to me, are the future of the men's game, if you see what I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. but the women's game will always struggle a bit because of the, I mean, un. You know, it's a physical game, rugby, and and the risk of yeah, injury. Yeah, there'll be no, there'll be there'll be fewer, but I just I I think when but it will, I mean, it will grow. It's going to grow. There's no getting away from yeah. that. And and the argument is, you've got what your your argument about women's rugby. If you look at a men's game, it's the same. You talk to any club, junior clubs, they talk about the number of minis and juniors that they have down. Yeah. You know, two or three hundred kids. Yeah, but they're still only running two or three yeah. adult teams. So what happens to all those kids? That are playing playing rugby in minis and juniors when they reach 16, 17, 18. The clubs they, they the discover other diversions. Well, there are other diversions, but there were those diversions before, and they used to have six teams. That's true. The, the yeah. problem is that the grassroots clubs can't afford to fund their fourths, their fifths, and their sixths. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of money to put a team on the field. Yeah. And and they used to have grants from the RFU that were paid. And the RFU did say when they put leagues in place that they would fund every league mm-hmm. uh, in incremental payments. So as you went up the leagues, you got more money. That all went out the window with, with the deals that they had to do with the Premiership because they didn't have the money to do it. Yeah, and it will be interesting because as the Premiership game continues to grow um, and the money's getting bigger, uh, to see whether or not they believe that they do have eventually any responsibility to the grassroots game in the way that the Premier League uh, uh, in football does at least give money back. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but then in football, you, you've got the advantage that the FA keeps all its own money. 
The FA generates money with its England games and keeps that money. And the Premiership makes its own money with its huge TV deals and things like that. In rugby, the the big money is in international rugby. And and club rugby, despite its growth, despite this 87,000, 77,000 people as the biggest crowd, Mm -hmm. on an average weekend, there are only 80,000 spectators across the whole Premiership. Yeah. And that's as many as Manchester United. Uh, one club, one yes. football club. Well, to a certain extent, you, you, it's difficult to take uh, that, that precise example because you're talking about the national yeah. sport and uh, and that is going to be different. Anyway, let's, tu- let's turn. We we're going to be looking at the Premiership action in detail with uh, Rob Rickerman and Scott Britz, but what did you think of the, uh, the final weekend? Because I... I've uh, I've written it for my Telegraph column that I thought it was one of the most exciting that we've had actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the results are, are strange. I mean, when you look at the the Wasp result compared to last week, when Wasp played against Quins, beating Saracens despite the fact it was a weakened Saracens. Yeah, it has to be said. Yeah. It's it's a pretty good it's a pretty good result. A bonus point win against them. I think you know, I think the fact that Bristol had been relegated. Has certainly eased the eased the pains and the worries of teams like Worcester, and then putting in a good performance against mm. Leicester has got to got to boost them for the. Well, next I mean, year. Newcastle's win thirty nine. They didn't quite make a Champions Cup qualification because uh, Quinns got the bonus point against Northampton, and therefore we're waiting to see what Gloucester do yeah. in the Stade Francais game. But Newcastle are a club which started off. With one of the biggest sugar, the biggest sugar daddy. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, that that funding went, and and since that point, it has been a club that's continued to exist, has grown the crowds moderately. Let's let's face it, um, but is now spending nowhere near the salary cap. No, and is still managing to get results like this. And whatever you have, whatever you say about that, bearing in mind. It is also more difficult to get people to go and sign for Newcastle because it's not in London, it's not, you know, it is geographically remote. Um, Dean Richards is, must be one hell of a, you know, a director well, of rugby. Look, at, of look at what he did for Quinns. That's true. You know, yeah. um, no. he, was, he was a great guy. And real, realistically, he should have been in with a shout of the England job before they took Eddie Jones. But, um, yeah. you know, obviously we all know the, the Bloodgate affair yeah. really yeah. cast him aside. Yeah. And uh, Dino has, has done remarkable things with Newcastle. They are now, they're now following, if you like, the Exeter route. And, and I tell uh, you what, that's good. I tell you what's remarkable about it. Against all expectation when you knew him as a player, you know, and we both know what sort of a player he was. Um, you know, and his lack of attention to any detail at all because he was just such a beast... He used to go out and play, and it would have mattered uh, whether or not he had any. I tell you what, if he'd had statistical analysis support, he would never have looked at it anyway. I remember. Do you remember when they gave us those uh, those tapes, the cassette tapes? Oh, you had to play them for, for mental re, for mental relaxation, but mental rehearsal. Yes. And it said, um, imagine one of them said, imagine you are stood six inches from a wall, stand six inches from a wall, and imagine that you are falling towards the wall. And see if you can make yourself fall. And I remember going talking to Dino about these and saying, "Did you try this?" Because I thought it was nonsense. And he said, "I don't know." He said, "Because I taped Elton John over mine." <laughs> so that's what he said. Yeah, well, you know, they gave you tapes. You've got to you've got to use them for something, haven't you? Really? Yeah. Um, 
just find I I they he's thrown up two playoff games, which I think actually the sides might not like, because of all the sides that I mean, what's they going to play at home? Yeah, but they've now got Leicester, and that is now a Midlands derby. Yeah, yeah, and derbies, as we know, have other factors than well, just do. the teams. So of all the three, although. You know, Leicester on paper haven't got as many points and so on, so on, so on. Um, the fact that it's a Midlands derby and the recall will be full, but it will not be full just of Wasp supporters. There'll be quite a few Leicester ones there. Not ideal. And also, Sandy Park, difficult place to play. But if you had to have a team that could maybe cope with the vagaries of weather and all-round games, Sarries are probably the team that you think are well, best equipped to play any sort of conditions. Well, that's true, but it's also it's also true that Sarries won't be over-pleased about going down to Sandy Park. I mean, Exeter no. are a strong side. Sarries pride themselves yeah. on being able to play home and away, and in a way, they looked at this game and think, thought that Europe was more important for them uh, than a home fixture mm-hmm. in the playoffs. So, you know, in that sense, they're probably yeah. right, and... Yeah. and but they'll they'll focus on first of all they'll focus on next week and then then they'll look at this they'll look at Exeter and how they're going to play against them. That'll be strong for Leicester versus Wasps. You know Leicester are actually playing some good rugby now. They've yeah. you know, O'Connor's come in there as, as their coach. He's, he's simplified things. He's simplified things. Yeah. He's got a, he's gotten back to playing the yeah. sort of rugby they are. They've got a few weaknesses in their side which they've got to straight strengthen up and you know they've got a few injuries with players, yeah. but they'll challenge Wasps. I mean. I, you know, compared to what's we getting that result yesterday, compared to how they played against Quinns the week before, yeah, was is unbelievable. Yeah. In association with QBE Business Insurance, principal partner of the British and Irish Lions. Time now to speak to the former Falcons and uh, England seven star Rob Vickerman. Good evening, Rob. Good evening. Hello, mate. Now I understand you were at Sale Bath yesterday I was indeed yeah and what do we make of the uh, of the uh, of the of these twins oh the cooey boys I yes. mean it's just absolutely <laughs> wonderful to see such young players playing yeah. with so much confidence so much belief and really making impressions like I read the programme when I first got there and of all the conversations that happened throughout it all it was Peter Stringer and Mike Phillips both yeah. obviously well respected people within the world of rugby just talking of how good these twins were so Brilliant to see. I actually thought it was a really interesting battle mm-hmm. in the back row to see how they go on against Tom Ellis, who's obviously their kind of counterpart with a similar yeah. type of background, but also Francois Lowe. And they held up and they got special credit really? from Todd Blackadder afterwards, saying how disruptive they were at the breakdown. So it's really good to see. Um, you you are also... Are you, are you having anything to do with the London Sevens? Because London and Paris are coming up fairly shortly, aren't they? Yeah, I did, yep, doing both of those. Yeah, commentating for World Rugby on those. Yeah. So, where where do they sit in the in the in the wider scheme of the wider scheme of uh, of sevens? The well, the London and Paris one. Yeah, um, yeah. Their final uh, the final two legs. So each um, well, we put them in couplets. Uh, European right. leg being the last two. Okay, so where it enough. used to be Edinburgh and Twickenham, they now moved that to to Paris and London. So mm-hmm. really fitting. It's uh, in uh, Twickenham to finish. I think it's quite a good showpiece to, to finish off and actually quite nice for these other countries to have to travel rather than all the European teams having to go to the far echelons around the globe but it's not a bad job you can't complain you can't complain oh it's terrible having to go to Dubai isn't it I'm sure 
Las Vegas. That's a long, long old way. Especially when there's only about 200 people there watching. It was pretty painful to see. But there's uh, rumours about that being moving further for the south, actually. So it'd be yeah. interesting how that goes in uh, in New Zealand. But it's, uh, it's a hell of a series. Yeah, it's good. One of my seen the, the Curry boys on that. Actually, be really interesting to see if they could... Uh, the, the now, now, the, now they've now they've been sort of hooked into the uh, Premiership. That's just highly unlikely, isn't it? Because of specialisation, oh, you, yeah. You, is it? Have we now got to the stage, Rob, where if you are a sevens qualified player, you can virtually, you, you know, if you you can say, well, my club career is going to be very, very secondary. If I de- if indeed I have one. Yeah, and it's becoming a real issue. So it's interesting speaking to Simon Amor about this. So he's head coach of England. He's actually moved to more of a management position as well as been the senior coach of the England Sevens team. So he's really facing a bit of a conundrum now because you've got this absolute pit of players who are absolutely ripe and ready to play international Sevens, but they'd rather be associated to the fringes of a Premiership squad because they're both financially more viable and almost a bit more prestige from it. So it's a really strange position that you could be, say, you know, on the periphery or even in the England Premier squad, yeah. and yet be far further along a 15s career pathway than any sevens player. Whereas traditionally it was a real stepping stone. So the likes of, yes. you know, Matthew Tate, Ben Fodor, and Danny Care, even Haskell back in the day used to be playing sevens as a way of developing their 15s. Whereas now it's completely, two, it's almost two different codes. It's it's such a different concept. And what, but what again, is... if you are 18, 19 you're facing the possibilities of travelling the world, doing Commonwealth Games and potentially Olympics. Well, that's, that's what question. I was going to ask. Yeah. I mean, yeah. those are big lures. And uh, what, what, effect, what effect has the, if any, has the, world, has, the, uh, has the Olympics had? Well, I think it's made it more cyclical, uh, which is both okay. a frustrating point um, to talk about because you're now looking at a four-year cycle, whereas traditionally there was no real cycle of sevens. You kind of went in. You stayed as long as you felt you were ready to, and then you'd obviously move on after it or potentially you know, stay in the game and retire from it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now you're looking at these big names who would have seen what it was like in Rio, who would have seen the prestige attached yeah. to being Olympian and some terrible tattoos that go along with it. <laughs> um, but they're, they're now in a position where you know, the, the big names are definitely going to come in, especially on the back of it being in um, you know, Japan for the 2019 World yeah. Cup, following mm. year 2020. It's going to be so interesting to see. How, how people do step up and, and you know want to be represented. I've got to ask you a question then, Rob. What do you think about that? Because, I mean, the, the idea that these guys, you know, who are playing sevens, who do sign their lives away to play sevens, can be suddenly replaced by a, a, a big 15 star just because um, they're going they're to the, go to the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, in, in principle, that would be the case. But as we saw last time, Quade Cooper, Brian Havana, both big, big names in the world of 15s, mm-hmm. They got nowhere near the seventh yep. team because they weren't good enough. Yep. And they, they put their hand up themselves. It was a shock to the system. And albeit Sonny Bill um, and been out there in Rio, saw him last about seven minutes till his Achilles went, which was a real <laughs> shame. But it just shows, you know, these big names who put their mm. hands up saying, yeah, I want a piece of this. Actually, they have to be good enough to earn that right. Um, and it's a real, really good battle to see how they pit themselves. And, and it was only really Sonny Bill of those players that said, right, I'm going to give it a good run. I'm going to do six months. And that'll then mean I've got more chance of making it. And, and fair play, he did. So, yeah. Rob, from a from a fitness point of view, what is, um, the, 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 there are huge differences. Yeah, but is it? But is it? But it, is it? Is it anaerobic? Is it aerobic? Is it a combination? Or, or you tell me what, what what the what the significant ones are. Well, I'm just rolling about the days now. I've seen you in the gym on the old treadmill. <laughs> I think it's the, uh, <laughs> a bit remiss to me you now, not to mention the fact that I know you're on physical peak. Um, but I think it's 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 a really uh, it's just 
it's just the worst feeling you experience in 15s in pre-season where you would quite happily retire from rugby and never go on a training pitch again. Yeah. It's like that for 14 minutes. Oof. It's just the worst feeling. I mean, you struggle to talk, you struggle to see, you struggle to breathe, and you still see the skill level that these players adhere to. Yeah. It's remarkable how fit they are. And I had a really good debate on, um, on Five Live Out in Rio. And I put my hand up and said, look, I'm probably slightly biased in some context, but I believe these sevens players are the fittest athletes yeah. in Rio. Why? Because they've got to have the speed, the skill, the endurance, but then do all of what they have to do with the likes of passing and tacking on top of it. Yeah. No one has the to contact. Say, you have to run around the track no, the yeah, and then hit a rook. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, people don't really run phenomenal. run out and just kick you somewhere. No, no, no. no. As you're <laughs> going towards that finish line, washing line, quick forearm. Yeah. <laughs> so, just, yeah. I tell you what, could you can you put a percentage on it, just as a guess, how much fitter you reckon now? Um, 15, 20, 10, 15? 10? No, more. More, more. more. Probably, yeah. All yeah, right. Definitely. I'd say, I'd say, I'd say a good thirty percent. And, and again, some will laugh at this, but until you do even some of the fitness tests, and, and the classic example of this, there used to be an anaerobic fitness test that the senior 15s team would do. Yeah. And it'd be the standard, um, I think you may well have seen it, it's kind of cone-related or flag-related. You go out five, back down, up 25, back down. And yeah. it basically works out at 90 metres yeah. with three up-downs per rep. Yeah. And you, you end up doing nine reps. So the England sevens team would do that twice. Ooh, wow. So and, and, and the average would be taken and the average had to be under two two ten, two hundred and ten seconds to qualify to get to make the squad. Now if you were good at fifteens, you would hit a time of round about probably two ten. Right, you had the old Johnny Wilkinson exception who was about two hundred seconds. But yeah. Dan Norton, his average was one nine six. His right, average yeah. was one nine six. I mean, it's just incredible so to what see would, what they do. Do they still do the old beep test or is that just consigned to the dustbin of history? Oh, that's long gone. I mean, that's, that's more aerobic. Well, I mean, they, they that. That's all that. I can say. They, they complete that. It would, it would be as simple as saying that they, they, would, they would beat the beep. They beat the, the, the that what, what, what was that, the 17, 18? Well, 20, it was about 17, 8, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, no, the actual top one. There was only, uh, there was only a few rugby players that completed it. Yeah, Ian, Ian, was one, originally. Ian Hunter. I think he did Ian Hunter did it, didn't he? The old yeah. fullback. He, he, yeah, he yeah fullback, yeah. yeah. He did yeah. it. Back in the day, I remember. Um, I remember watching him when I dropped off at about five or something like that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's just difficult when you look at it because yeah, you see yeah. someone like, and again, I use Dan Norton as an example. Yeah. His fifty percent speed is like most people's seventy percent, so it's a slightly skewed scale. But Fair the enough. fact that he's that good aerobically, yeah. but then has the anaerobic training as well. I mean, yeah, yeah the, the next level now. But they have to be because it's just phenomenal the, the type of stuff they do, and it's what, all becoming quite scientific actually. Yeah, what about we could actually we could talk about that all day? But I wanted to ask you about <laughs> uh, um, Solomona. Yes, he's exciting. Yep, he's a great player. So he basically created a tryout of absolutely nothing at the weekend, and it just shows how threatened he is because he's a big bloke but he moves pretty well and yep. he, he's starting to really understand rugby which is what I like to see so yeah. defensively he puts himself in really good position yeah. uh, and he's just starting to really get that um, impact in games now like I made uh-huh. a bit of a comment on the website saying he's making more noise than a brass band but <laughs> he, he's backing it up that's the thing like he's yeah. now got 11 tries in 14 games from a yeah. team that aren't particularly expansive um, it just shows how capable the guy is. And that's the other thing. I kind of always end up talking about this, being a typical Northerner. But there are so many people like that in Rugby League that would just come into 15s in a heartbeat and they'd be all so cheap to get as well. But... Oh, do you, oh, do you, because I've got my ideas. I've, 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 I've watched Rugby League all my life. Um, yeah. And I have my ideas. Who, who, what, the one or two you reckon? 
Well, I put a seven spin on it because I was asked yep. quite a bit about picking like a world sevens team. Right. And of, of the world sevens team, I'd probably have six NRL rugby league players. All right. um, but the, the, the GB team, which was a bit more specific, I'd probably mm-hmm. have four rugby league players in it. So Watkins, for me, is world class. I mean, whatever that means. Yep. He is someone that has got it all. And someone like Sam Tonkins, when he was on, on fire for Wigan. Yeah. You show me a team that wouldn't benefit from his skill set, then there's like a Zach Hardacre, he'd be, he'd be an yep. outstanding 13. And then even a bit more up front, you, know, you look at the guys like James Graham, who's seen as like a bit of a biffer in rugby league terms. Yeah. You know, he's a hard-as-nails prop. He'd be an amazing 12, just to see someone card it up with dynamism mm-hmm. and hands and play so flat. And it, There's no mm-hmm. shock that of all the coaches I've had, of about 11 head coaches mm-hmm. in, in 12 years, mm-hmm. the best ones were all rugby league-backed and just, they just looked at the game in such a different way. Um, and there's so much that Union can take from it if you know if they did look at mm-hmm. how well they're already doing some some regards, but rather than just your standard rugby league defence coach coming in, their attacking principles are, are brilliant, and they, they just break down the simplicity of skill set. And it was really interesting. But you know, Todd Blackadder, one of the most brilliant coaches to speak to, so passionate. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, you've got you've got Bath now for pre-season. You're going to fly into it. What are you going to do? And all he said was, it's his basics, basics. And mm-hmm. that's the, that's akin to a belief because all you ever work on there is yep. catching pass and grip offload yeah. because there is no there is no set piece there is no line outs for scrums and you wonder why their skill levels are so high. Well, they have to be, don't they? But uh, I mean, really, Rob, one of the things about what you've, you've been saying that we in rugby union we've taken a lot of backs defense uh, defensive coaches from rugby league, but we haven't taken the attack. Why do you think that is? Because it's you know one of the problems that rugby has, rugby union has, is the the rugby league defence is so claustrophobic that teams are struggling to break it down. But in rugby league, if they learn the attack, the same attack, they'd, they'd be better. Why? Why do you think so that rugby union players don't don't money rugby union clubs don't employ rugby league attack coaches? It's really interesting because on the face of it, that's that's a correct statement. But you actually look at what defences coaches do; they look at attack. So, for example, if you've got like Sir Andy Farrell, who's an out-and-out defence coach, he's probably more influential in the attack than people realise because he knows how to break down defence. Uh-huh. So there's always that transferability in the coaching skill set where they're looking at defence as an attack coach. But I think there are a few. I mean, we're probably under, underwriting, you know, a sale to have him in at the weekend. The influence that Paul Deacon has, the influence that Mike Forshaw has uh-huh. on the way that Sale are playing, of course, that's rugby league theory because they know nothing about rugby union. Uh-huh. So they're showing their, you know, their guys. And, and Sale, yesterday, they were breaking Bath down so easily. I mean, they should have had three more tries. Yeah. So it wasn't a case of necessarily um, the just defence ruling the games. It's now attack, and, and you look at how England play. That whole formation is is, is like a league system. And Stuart Lancaster, I know firsthand because I was yeah. with him at Leeds. Spent oh. so much time with the rugby league guys, yes. Brian McDermott with Tony Smith, looking at how their skill set can be applied to Union. Yeah. Well, I tell you, that it's not it's not just a question in, in those respects. Your the northern aspect of this. Although the clubs uh, in the Premiership are uh, underrepresented in Northern wise, it still is the case. Seven out of uh, every fifteen players that play for the full national side are from the north. Yeah, you're speaking to the converted here, Moore. I mean, I'm always going to say the power of the north, but the problem is it's harnessing, isn't it? I mean, if you actually look at the numbers, and I'm in Hull myself, so yeah. I kind of see this M62 corridor. There are a staggering number of outstanding rugby players in Yorkshire, both rugby union and rugby league. Yeah. And, and I don't really see that being, you know, harnessed. I've been used well enough. And, and there's so much potential in rugby league. And the problem is it's crippled financially. So in rugby league, there is a 2020 salary cap. 
Yeah. So only 20 players can get paid more than £20,000. And you're looking at the figures now, and there's some phenomenal numbers coming out, but the world of rugby union has had six-figure transfers. In fact, yes. the, the stat I'll give you that I got of an agent of the week, which is a great one. The players' cost to a club over £300,000 has doubled, more than doubled, year on year for four years, to the point where now there are going to be over three uh, over 100 players on more than £300,000. Wow. Wow. What is Which am- is four. It is amazing that, Five, that, that more people haven't been... Uh, been raiding the, uh, the 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 league um, the league game, and from a from a point of view of someone who's who's played both and likes both, that's mm. that's quite worrying for league. Uh, it is, yeah, and yeah. I think that's it. That it's seen as it's seen as raiding still, isn't it? I mean, yeah. the whole Salomon saga. If he was in rugby union, there wouldn't have been a chance in hell he'd have been on fifty thousand pounds. But he was at Castleford. Yeah. Whereas you look at these fringe um, academy players now who start on fifty thousand pounds. I mean, that oh. kind of you know, that really has rubbed salt into the wounds of this of the rugby league world where, you know, yeah. you could be... Well, I know for a fact when I was at the Rhinos, there were only six players on more than £100,000. And it's just... It's bizarre. And they were winning everything. You know, so yeah. the numbers don't really stack up. And I think you're right. There is this pool of players that will suddenly be, you know, more and more uh, transferred. But there's some going the other way, relatively few, but some mm. some going from yeah. Union to yeah. League, which is interesting. Well, there, uh, there always was a, a, a trek from, from Union to League. And uh, actually, some of the players... Did come back as better players for playing it, you know. People like Jonathan Davis and that, when when they yeah. came back from league, were a better player than when. And they'll say John Bentley as well was a better player when having had his spell in league when he came back yeah. to Union. Um, yeah. I mean, well, he'd, he'd certainly say it if you didn't. So, yeah. <laughs> but but the thing is, you, you know, rugby league does have a very strong um, uh, MP base, doesn't it? As support in 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 the House of Commons, and and, and I know that there was one of the aspects of. Uh, dear old Frank Cotton wanted to wanted to raid rugby league years ago, uh, mm. and he was he was more or less told, "Don't do that because it's going to it will cause us a lot of political problems." Yeah, yeah there's a few certainly in Leeds. I know uh, Greg Mulholland he's quite vocal in his uh, his support of rugby league, but mm. yeah, ultimately it's, it's a sport that needs it needs some help, it needs some change, and and you can see what's happened recently. There's there's a real conundrum because Sky make the sport, but at yeah. the same time the RFL don't share that money out so it becomes a little bit of a an even playing field really and it's it's pretty sad to see really because the clubs are really surely Rob, when, it's a great game when you look at the uh, the side that's going to Argentina yeah um, you'll be uh, fairly well up on some of the fringe players some of the players that have been taken uh, you know as young uh, hopeful what, which ones should uh, people look out for well, I mean, you mentioned, I think the Curry brothers are really interesting selections because, you know, you look at Sale, languishing slightly in the premiership. They're just taking players that they believe can really transition in the next group of people. I just like the fact that it's quite well balanced in the sense that they're bringing some of the older, more experienced players as well. And, um, you know, the likes of, of, of Danny Kerr, Mike Brown, yep. all kind of helping through. Um, Joe Cogner Singer, I mean, he potentially is just fantastic. There's a lot made of... Um, the kind of Fijian influence in French rugby, I guess. You look at Vakatawa and so yeah. knowing well from the seven series as well. Mm. He could be that good. I mean, he is what six foot five. He's seventeen and a half stone. He's quick. He's powerful. No one knows of him because he's been playing for Irish all year in the championship. But yeah. he's very, very exciting. That, that, that's someone I want to see fly, as well as you know Solomon. To see how he'll go. My, my fear a little bit is certainly seeing the um, the line squad. How many of these players may well end up in New Zealand? Um, I guess that's a little bit of a concern. Um, but Ellis Genshi is the one I, I think you know people know of because of his yep. cap already. Yep. Um, but he's someone that's going to really um, 
grow, and, and, and certainly Sam Underhill. Um, didn't see a huge amount of him other than when Ospreys were, were making some waves previously, and now he's at bat. I didn't see a lot more of him. Um, but he's someone that excites me, and I, I like these abrasive sevens, almost like a Kiwi mould, but they're just hard as nails, tackle yeah. all day, and, and don't go backwards. So it's, it's good to see how he's going to go. They're, they're probably the highlights for me. Well, Rob, tell you what, that was uh, a tremendous contribution, 15 minutes of absolute gold insight. Thank you very much, mate. <laughs> no worries, Rob. Good to speak to you. Good to see you well, mate. Yeah, top man. Thank you. See ya. Now then, time to discuss the Pro 12, which is also coming to its uh, denouement, and uh, it will be exciting. We're going to discuss it with the former Lions and Wales wing, David James. David, good evening. Good evening, Brian. Now then, Scarlet's hammered Ospreys. Uh, I must admit, I didn't see that coming, even though Scarlet's were at home. What's your take on that? Yeah, the uh, Scarlets played exceptionally well yesterday. Uh, the the Ospreys just uh, found themselves wanting. They really didn't put uh, a lot together, really. I thought mm-hmm. over recent weeks, I've watched the Ospreys playing and uh, they seem to have taken their foot off the pedal, whereas the, uh, the Scarlets are really accelerated towards the end of the season and uh, were flying yesterday and they put together some uh, great passages of play and uh, scored some very good tries. Now, the uh, perennial powerhouses uh, from Ireland, the Two provinces that have, you know, dominated uh, European stuff. Munster, Leinster, there one and two again. Is there a realistic chance of the Welsh sides knocking these uh, these sides over? Well, I think it's a uh, you know it's uh, the old adage, isn't it? Really, it comes down to the cup competition on the day, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, if you look at previous performances, you probably say no, but it's a one-off performance, and I think. Uh, Obviously, with the Scarlets in particular, they, they're flying high. They've got their tails up. Yep. Um, and they seem to be uh, playing some, some very good rugby. So there's an opportunity for them. I think Leinster are a very uh, competent side and uh, it's going to be very, very difficult for them. However, you know, it's down to uh, on the day, isn't it, really, in the cup competitions. Yeah, I mean, well, Leinster lost, though, didn't they, yesterday? So, you know, despite being a strong side, they're, they're, they're losing games at the moment. So Scarlets have got to be happy about facing that sort of side yeah I think uh, you know they'll be uh, quietly confident going into that one as we said you know they've got a purple patch at the moment and uh, you know Leinster seem to have uh, stepped off as well and uh, you know also put in a great performance yesterday and uh, Pienaar will be sorely missed you know it was his last game yesterday however you know I think Leinster if you look at their squad their 30 or 35 man squad it's very very strong and uh, you know I think when it comes to this sort of competition I think, um, you know, it'll bring out the best of them. They'll have to excel if they want to beat the Scarlets and uh, try and get the uh, silverware. And, um, you know, I think they, they've got a formidable outfit, uh, like I said, from 1 to 35, 30, yeah. 36-odd yeah. players. Where do you, if you're looking, you know, from a Welsh point of view, from a Welsh province's point of view, you're looking at uh, regionals and saying, where do we attack? Where do we seek to get an advantage? What What, what would you say... Um, for both teams? Well, I think uh, you've got to play to your strengths, really. I think uh, that the, the, the Scarlets have really got to dominate. You know, I don't want to be uh, all cliche, but it does always start up front. Yeah. And the Scarlets come in, in particular yesterday was very good, whereas the Ospreys seemed to you know, be twisting and turning and they couldn't quite get that sort of parity. So yeah. you have to get your set piece right. And I thought the, the Scarlets went away from the stereotypical sort of Welsh bland of rugby of recent years, which is very much uh, attritional, shall I say. And they started to play a little bit with a bit more flair, mm-hmm. which was very uh, pleasing to see. And it was, a, you know, a, a credit to watch. I did watch uh, 
uh, the Ospreys last week as well, and they started to throw the ball around a little bit, which is not heard of either. So <laughs> I think yeah, they're going to be a little bit more creative. I think, uh, you know, when when teams come up against the well sides, they know that it's going to be a, a bit of Warren Gatlin ball, shall we say. And it's, it's a, you know, it's quite easy to mark. And yeah. uh, I think if you throw that curve ball in, you throw in a, a couple of uh, missed passes or, or, or moves in the back line, changing the impetus of attack, and then uh, you can create some... Uh, some dividends. You know, I look at the uh, the Scarlets pack uh, and the front five. I have no problem in seeing them, uh, you know, get parity with with Leinster. I just wonder whether Shingler, McLeod, and Boyd can generate the same sort of go forward um, and the same sort of impact at breakdowns that uh, that Leinster can you know, can pull out. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're very strong, aren't they, Leinster in the yeah. back row? And I think. Uh, if their front five do their job right um, and tie them into the scrum for argument's sake, then you know it'll make that job a little bit easier for the likes of Boyd and uh, Shingler in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boyd is just burst onto the scene. I think he's just signed a, another contract with the Scarlets. He's very robust around the breakdown area, but you know they're a step behind the the, uh, the Leinster back three if if you look at it realistically. Mm-hmm. So I think you know they need to look at their, their senior players. They need to get over the game line initially in the in the midfield. You know, and always put Leinster on the back foot, and then hopefully, you know, they can take them out one step behind them, and uh, and they got that extra opportunity to seize a ball on the ground. Was well, a mouth-watering uh, potential clash at centre and on the wings. You Liam Williams, I think he's a tremendous player. I've always liked Liam Williams, and then Den Davis and Williams, uh, you know, a very seasoned pairing now. Um, uh, I would think uh, Scarlets would be hoping they could do a bit of damage. Well, yeah, I think Liam Williams, obviously, that was his last game in uh, Park of Scarlet's yesterday. And, uh, you know, he's going to be sorely missed. But, uh, you know, what a coup for Saracens next season. You're, you're quite right. He's probably been a bit of an enigma bursting onto the scene uh, with, with Wales and for the Scarlet's. He seemed to be the most creative back we've had. And, um, you know, he's linking up very well with Jonathan Davis. And, uh, you know, I think... They throw caution to the wind a little bit, and uh, I think if they run the right lines, uh, they can cause a lot of problems. And they have that ability to offload out of the tackle, which is key, really, if you want to keep the momentum going. Well, Davis is certainly Jonathan Davis is one of the best players, isn't he? You know, he, he's he, he's really been fundamental for for Wales in that as as being the creative centre. Yeah, well, he's got that sort of, uh, you know, he's got that left peg. He gives them options, really, for the kicking options. And, uh, you know, he's got uh, a deceptive turn in pace. He's obviously a seasoned international. And, uh, you know, he's he's got international exposure under his belt, really. So he's going to be composed. He's going on the Lions. You don't, you don't go on the Lions if you, you haven't got some sort of credibility. So, sure. yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's a quality player. And uh, I'm sure he'll be wanting the best out of these guys if they want to finish the season on a on a big high. Well, David, uh, can I thank you very much for that? Let's hope that uh, it'd be nice, actually, for one of the Welsh regions to, uh, you know, to perform and to and to and you know to break the Irish monopoly on this, um, and in Europe because that's going forward. Yeah, just just finally going forward, can you see any of the of the uh, the Welsh sides actually, you know, turning up in Europe and and putting a significant, uh, you know, mark on it? Well, I'd like to think so. Um, in recent years, it hasn't been the way the Scarlets have ended up in the pool of death most mm-hmm. years. And, yeah. uh, however, they've uh, they've acquitted themselves very very uh, highly, haven't they? Really, you know, the likes against Saracens, Toulon. They've they've had a really tough challenge, and 
you know, they've taken one or two scalps, but have managed to go to that quarterfinal sort of stage, essentially. So I think, you know, the tide may be turning a little bit. And, um, you know, it'd be nice to see. It's about time some of the Welsh regions really put their hand up and started playing a little bit more competitive. Yeah, well, when you're saying the, the you know, the Scarlets have got a front row, a front five, and they're doing their set pieces well, that, that obviously helps them a lot and gives them the opportunity to, to let their backs play, isn't it? And, and that's why Scarlets are doing well. And, and they could take that into Europe and, and be successful in Europe. Oh, yeah, quite. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think, uh, you know, it, it all stems up front. You know, it, it's the, the old one, isn't it? The, yeah. the forwards do the hard work and the backs put the points on the board, yeah. essentially. But, you know, and uh, in fairness, you know, the front five in particular have been exceptional um, this season. You know, uh, Evans as well, you know, Samson Lee, and then you've got uh, Ken Owens, mm-hmm. you know, you know, great front row to have, yeah. and they, they they got that exposure and that that experience. So it's important if you want to uh, progress into Europe, you have to have that set piece right. Otherwise, you know, you may have all the backs in the world if you if you're not going to get the ball, it's 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 a waste of time. Absolutely correct, David. Thank you very much. Hey, great to see you back on your feet. Cheers, thanks, mate. Take bye. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Backs um, decide how many um, the game is won by. Forwards uh, decide whether the game is won or lost. True or false still? Uh, it is true, yeah. If you don't do your set pieces right, you don't get the ball. If you don't get the ball, or if, if you, even, if you're, even if you do get the ball, you get bad ball. Can, you, can, got... you, can you actually, you know what, this, and it pains me to say this, you would be worth quite a lot of money um, in, the, in the modern day game as a tight head. Well, you know, I keep thinking that. I, I'm get, I've still got my boots upstairs, you know. Yeah, well, um, no, I mean, <laughs> it's, always, it's, it's theoretical, obviously. Um, but it is interesting. That, well, uh, I wouldn't be picked. I wouldn't be picked. You, you think of it, I'm five foot, uh, when I was, even when I was, when I was at my prime, no, I was you, five you, foot ten, you, 16 stone. Yeah, you, you wouldn't be picked on that level. You would be picked on the fact that you were the most disruptive, illegal scrimmager. You're only that, illegal if they blow the whistle. Well, exactly, that's the point I'm making. <laughs> you, could, you, could, you could survive without any doubt. But the, the serious point is, that actually, when you're talking to uh, team uh, managers, directors of rugby, and whatever, uh, the tight heads now are at an absolute premium. Yeah, I, I, part of the reason is the way that they're they're brought into the game and educated now. I mean, yeah. if you if you look at things with kids, all right. When I was when I was growing up in the sport, as a sixteen year old, I was playing against old men of thirty, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and learning lessons. So was I. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now they don't. They they play only against their own ages. Mm-hmm. So they spend more time in the gym. They don't learn techniques. They don't learn, if you like, the the nuances of how to scrummage at different mm-hmm. heights, different levels. Uh, and then you add into that the referees with, with taking control of the engagement and how yeah. all that sort of thing. It throws a lot of a lot of spanners in the works, and mm-hmm. it's very difficult to find decent props. Mm-hmm. They, they don't have the grounding that we used to have. Mm-hmm. The same thing applies to hookers. Let's be honest. You know, you see, as I say, you 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 watch it. You watch games where hookers don't hook the ball. Yes, it is remarkable. You would think um, that that was implicit in the name, um, but I mean, th- this is a refereeing thing, and I'm not going to go on about it now um, because it's unusual we'll be, for you. We'll, yeah, it is. But we'll be here all night, and I'll, be, <laughs> and I'll bore myself as well. Um, <laughs> You know, but the referees have to take a significant amount of responsibility. Uh, but they won't. But they, they won't. Don't. No, of course they won't. They they'll, won't. They'll, yeah. they'll blame everyone else. <laughs> Quite right. Right, now it's time to go to Super Rugby. And as you know, we try and alter the focus each week by featuring a different country where 
actually fortunate that we can probably cover two countries in our next guest because we've got the legend David Campisi on the other end of the line. So uh, he can cover South Africa because he lives in Durban and obviously he was a, a, a wallaby superstar. David, hello. Maury, how are you? Uh, I'm all right, mate. Um, the weekend's action. Now, from a South African point of view, uh, everyone knows that it's a strange year this year with them not having to travel and play the Kiwi teams. Nevertheless, um, they've had to play one or two at home and the Cheetahs came very, very close to beating the Highlanders. Now, uh, can we read anything significant into that? No, look, I just think the competition's a bit of a mess. Um, obviously, they've extended to 18 teams. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's... Uh, Realistically, it's not a good setup. Uh, the amount of travel time, I think the uh, the force are up here. And got, they're going to travel forty thousand kilometres in three weeks. Yeah, play three games of rugby. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I just think that the I know the game they want to expand the game, which is great for rugby, but really, you know, at, at what cost? Uh, you're not getting the quality of games um, that you used to get because teams are travelling so much. It's another game now. You know, it, it's not the passion, the pride. Uh, that we once had because, mm-hmm. you know, you played a game, it's great, but now every single week you've got a game, it's a tough game. And I don't think the, the, the quality of players are around anymore because a lot of players want to sort of go to Japan or they want to go over to France and earn a lot more money instead of actually playing through provinces. And um, I think South Africa and Australia are two countries that are really struggling at the moment where the Kiwi teams, I mean, they're miles ahead of everyone else. Yeah, um, I, we 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 accept that. But uh, if you can see any um, of the South African teams doing anything, which one would it be? Yeah, I think the uh, the Lions are the team. The Lions are, uh, made the final last year, yeah. um, and I think the style of rugby they're playing. There's no real superstars on that side, so they've actually a good group. Uh, Ackerman, um, who I coached the Sharks many years ago, is doing a fantastic job there. And again, you know, they're the under underrated team. They turn up week in, week out. And all they do is play simple, basic rugby. Uh, a lot of the Kiwi teams do the same. And that's why they're winning. Um, yeah. The Storm, big wraps on the Storm. They've had three massive losses away in New Zealand. The Sharks at home have got no New Zealand team at all. So really, they should be one of the uh, semi-final contenders. Uh, the Kings struggle. The Bulls got beat by 60. And yeah, what, really what about what about the Bulls? Because uh, Springbok, uh, uh, the legend who you know, know as well, Nars Bort, has called for uh, yeah. Marais to be fired. Yeah, look, I just think it's... Um, coaching these days is is a very unique um, job. Um, the reason I say that, I spent uh, the Rebels, Melbourne Rebels, here last week, and I, I knew Morgan Turanui, who's the back coach. So I mm-hmm. spent a couple of sessions with him. And it's quite interesting because you've got four coaches... <laughs> Um, and you don't know who the coach is, and the players just go through the motions. So, you know, the Bulls, um, I know the coaches come in to try and play a different style, but if you can't give the players the basic skills, Mm -hmm. you can't play the flair. And if you look at a lot of these, the Bulls, I mean, they've got some really good players, but they just go through the motions, and and that seems to be the struggle. Um, The Kiwi teams, the Crusaders, if you I just watched the, the highlights, Every time they did something, they had smiles on their faces. They loved what they were doing. Uh-huh. And a lot of other teams, it's like, they just go through the motions. You know, it's like, here we are again. And I think that's the big difference. And I think um, 
the Bulls traditionally have been a very, very strong force of South African rugby, and they just seem to be falling away. They just don't have the guys to do it again. They've got some great individuals, but they're not playing as a team. Yeah, I mean, one of the things about this is, as you're saying, with the 18 teams in it, do you think it'd be better if they split into two leagues, you know, two divisions, so they're promotion and relegation type thing? Well, I really think what should happen is South African teams should play in South Africa, um, or, sorry, sorry, not in, sorry, in London, because I think they're closest, t- same time zone. Or what they do is they bring Argentina into this competition and bring another team, and they have a conference, Australia and New Zealand have a conference, and let them play off in the last two or three or four, then they get into play against South Africa, Australia and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, the amount of travel time is ridiculous, and the teams are, I think, the, I think one, I'm trying to think that the, South, the New Zealand team came over, I think it was the... Uh, the Chiefs, one of the teams came over and played one game in South Africa and went straight over to play Argentina, and then they went home to play back into New Zealand the week after. I mean, it's bizarre. It's ridiculous, you know? isn't it? It is, really, it is ridiculous. And the, the body, and that's why if you have a real look at the competition, you know, you're looking at players who are about 23, 24-year-old players, mm-hmm. 26 is probably the eldest. You know, and what's happened a lot of these teams, there's no experience anymore. Mm-hmm. There's no one there to say, guys, okay, in the game, let's take it easy, let's change this. They're all young. They're, they're all fit and healthy, but really they haven't got that experience when the pressure's on to actually try and calm the players down or take a bit of control. And I think that seems to be a massive uh, problem as well for a lot of these teams. Uh, quite apart from that, um, the, the toll on the body and the players, it's enormously expensive as well, isn't it? You know, to fly what must be, what, 30-odd players and backroom staff, you know, or you know, or half the way around the world continually. Well, I think the... Uh, I, th- I spoke to a mate today in Melbourne... And he was saying for the Rebels are over here for three games. Mm-hmm. He said it cost like almost flights and all, like almost half a million Australian dollars. <laughs> right. Is it any wonder well, the Australian Union are having problems, you know, when, when you look at, well, look at those sort of fly, things? they all fly business. They're all yeah. the best hotels. Yeah. I mean, you can't, sorry, probably, I shouldn't say half, probably 250000 sorry, but still. It's a lot of money for three weeks of rugby, mm-hmm. you know. And then you go home, and I saw the Rebels play yesterday against like. And you're only getting about what eight or nine thousand people watching because there's not the excitement anymore. They've, they've watched what they've seen overseas, and the, there's nothing new. Um, guys coming into the game, it's all very predictable. Everyone plays the same style. No team really plays a different style of rugby anymore, mm-hmm. and that's that's the problem now because it's all done by the coaches in the grandstand. His contract is if you don't win, you get sacked. So all he wants to do is win. He doesn't care about uh, what the crowd think. It's his job. And I think that's where we've actually changed. The game has changed a lot. Um, well, if you talk about um, if you talk about making the changes that you you said, would you still call some of the teams? Uh, yes, um, for Australian rugby, I would. We haven't got the players. Firstly, we haven't mm-hmm. got. Um, uh, if you look at our five Super Rugby teams at the moment, we've got three Kiwi number tens. You've got Bernard Foley, who's the incumbent test player, and you've got uh, Quay Cooper. So, so Foley's been concussed a few times. He's missed a couple of weeks. Uh, Cooper's had a uh, three-week ban. Uh, we've got no number 10 in Australia, I mean, which is bizarre. We've got five teams. Yeah. How can that happen? <laughs> so, yes, uh, one team's got to go. What I would do is I'd combine the Brumbies and the Rebels, put the Brumbies into Melbourne because, obviously, mm-hmm. it's a bigger base there, um, and... Even if you keep the fourth, we've got four teams then. Mm. So it does, you know what I mean? So it combines one, 
But again, uh, Brian, this problem is this is this has happened over the last five or six years. This just yeah. hasn't happened now. Yeah. It's happened with John O'Neill. You know, all these guys come in. I reckon they do. They've never put money into grassroots. We have got no young coach. If Michael Checker had a problem and he didn't couldn't coach, we haven't got a coach in Australia. You got Stevie Larkin, but he's a great assistant coach. Mm-hmm. We haven't got any up and coming coaches like you know the Kiwis. They've got a number of coaches around the world. You know, they're bringing all the ex-players back to coach. In Australia, we don't do that because they see us as a threat because we actually got an idea, we got a voice, and we want to play the game differently, as you know. Yeah, got to say, though, Campo, when, you, when you're saying that they see it as a threat, it's a, it's a bigger threat if people walk away from the game. If, 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 you know, if you're not getting the crowds, you're not getting the money, you're not getting the revenue, you're not getting players. And if you're not getting players, you know, the, the Australian team will fall apart. Well, that's that's the scary thing, and you know, there's been a crisis in Australian rugby. I believe that um, uh, there could be a few actions this week happening. Uh, John, uh, Alan Jones has been on the bandwagon. Um, you know, you've got uh, Brett Patworth. Last year, we had the '86 reunion, and it was a massive letter put by, forward by the, all the ex '86 players. It was the last time we actually won the Bledisloe Cup at Eden Park was in 1986. So that's scary for a team that's won two World Cups. So you can sh- see the the problems we're having, you know, we are up against Rugby League and Aussie rules. And I saw in the paper where Rugby League's going to spend $100 million on trying to stop players from leaving Rugby League. $100 million. You know, we haven't got that money. No. But the thing is, if you had don't entertain the crowds, as you talked about, uh, people don't want to watch. The game is very complicated. They spend all the time in the scrum. You know, it collapses and you guys have got to blame because you're a bloody prop and hooker. <laughs> you guys fart us. You guys fart ass around in that scrum, and you've got wingers out there freezing that don't touch the ball. Yeah, well, that's only because you drop it. the ball out to those guys. <laughs> not always. Not always. No, I, look, I have but some, symp- see, I have some sympathy with, with you over that, but the, but the referees are more to blame for it. Anyway, just, just finally, dropping one Australian team makes complete sense to me, but um, yep. so does maybe dropping at least one of the... Uh, South African franchises as well. Well, I think if you had, you mentioned the uh, the Cheetahs. Yeah. I mean, two weeks now, I think they played the Chiefs a couple of weeks ago and they had the Chiefs 24-3 at halftime and they lost. Uh, yesterday, they had the Highlanders 41, I think it was 20, and they yeah. lost. Yeah. You know, and you've got the Kings, the Kings struggle as well. So, you know, you are, you have got teams. We can't sustain that because you're not getting the crowds. It's great to throw, run the ball around. The ball's the same, 62 to 22, mm-hmm. really. I mean, at home. I mean, so what, what have we got? What have we got for the future? Do you really want to see some of these teams get flogged week in, week out? Some of these traditional teams that have been around a long time, great history, falling apart because the players coming through, Brian, as well. Yeah. I think the Sharks, I spoke to uh, Gary Teichman, he said at the Sharks, when he played, probably 99% of the players came from in the towel or Durban area. Yeah. Now, 85, 90% of the players that play here don't even come from Durban. So they haven't got that tradition. They haven't got that. I'd love to always want to play for my province. Yeah. You know, it's a job. It gets money. It's a job. It's something else. They go off to somewhere else. They ha- that's the problem now. There's none of that traditional, you know, I love playing for the Sharks because that's where my dad played or I used to yeah. grow up as a kid. We've lost all that. And that's, that's one of the biggest concerns as well. Well, uh, Campo, it's sure that he's... Uh, what... What is certain is it's not going to be a quick fix over this. And uh, no. you will have plenty of time, therefore, to come back and tell us 
in uh, a few weeks' time or a few months' time or whatever, um, I think it's shaping up. Good to speak to you again, mate. No, definitely. No, I'm glad you're well, mate. Cheers, um, mate. We, we felt very, very sad when you had that problem, but, mate, it's good to see you back again and still talking some more crap, crap about rugby. That's great. <laughs> good to speak to you, Campo. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. See you, guys. See Thanks, you. Bye-bye. In association with QBE Business Insurance, principal partner of the British and Irish Lions, supporting the team behind the team. Time now to uh, change codes to the great game of rugby league, and we can speak to a rugby league legend, a uh, genuine legend, Gary Schofield, mostly uh, Hull and uh, Leeds, but uh, a few clubs in between. Good evening, Gary. Good evening, Brian. You OK? Yes, I'm not too bad, mate. Now then, taking Leeds, uh, that's not a bad win away uh, Catalan, even though Catalan um, are not the team that they were last year. Well, no, they're not, and uh, but also they're still still a decent team at home. To be honest yep. with you, okay, at this this season they seem to have lost a, a few more games than what's been anticipated. But uh, but yeah, Leeds uh, yesterday certainly uh, the player for the full eighty minutes. They showed a bit of spirit and character yesterday, rather than against the week before against Huddersfield. They just seemed to didn't have the right attitude. But if you don't mm-hmm. have the right attitude going to Catalan, they're going to get turned over. So Leeds yesterday for the full eighty minutes, they played that and got a good result for themselves. And uh, I watched uh, Warrington, uh, well, comprehensive in the end, uh, dismantled St Helens, and it just showed to me that rugby league is no different from uh, nearly every other sport. Once you've got confidence in your team and yourself, then you're capable, you know, of uh, you know tremendous things. And it, 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 I'm just amazed that Warrington lost it for five games, you know, after the uh, World Club Challenge, but now seem to have got it back. Is that, do, you, do you reckon they're they're they're, uh, they're on the way? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And all you have to do is just look at the squad, don't you? The, the, the talent, what they have got. Yeah, everybody was surprised. We all know exactly what they did uh, to the Brisbane Broncos. And then, what did they go? Five or six on the bounce where they did get a victory. But, yep. yeah, it was just a matter of time before they hit the form. And as you, as you mentioned, it doesn't matter what sport you play, Brian. Confidence is absolutely massive. And if you've got confidence, it puts a smile back in every, everybody's faces from there. And everybody enjoyed each of us company. That's certainly what Warrington's got. But his surprise went down 14-0 down to... I would say at this moment in time, a pretty poor St. Ellen side. But again, what's, what Warrington showed, not just that confidence, they had that spirit, that character to score 40 points, which is a, a pretty decent effort against St. Ellen's. Well, everyone in Ruby League has been waiting for Salford, um, you know, with their, their Mr. Kukash's money. I mean, let, I mean let's face it, it's, it's only a, a, moderative, a moderate investment. Um, but we've been waiting for to pull things off. Now, Wigan at the moment, um, I know they're a bit confusing to me because I'd thought the season's games that I've watched, certainly early on, they were majoring on defence and yet again they shipped, I think it was like five five tries in this game and uh, they've done it previously. I'm, should they be worried, the Wigan supporters? Uh... Well, to, well, the shifted 31 points game at Salford, as you mentioned, a pretty impressive side. But from Wigan's point of view, uh, yeah, OK, uh, they've got injuries. But I don't buy into the injury situation. Still not nowadays when it's all full-time professionalism. They've got a squad of 25, 30 players, you know. So, mm-hmm. But the Wigan philosophy is, you know, they bring the young kids in. Everybody, everybody knows uh, the style of play. But at the end of the day, if you've got quality against inexperience, the quality is always going to uh, win in the end. And certainly now Salford, when you, what you've just mentioned there, yeah, Mr. Kukash, he's uh, far too much interference at times. But what Mr. Kukash has done is learnt his lesson. He's brought people who know about Salford, people yep. who know about rugby league. Ian Bleeds is the chief executive, knows all about Salford Club, good player himself. 
Ian Watson, he's brought players in there who want to play for Salford, who yeah. want to play for the coach, want to play for that club. He's got the right team spirit, playing with plenty of confidence. And Well, at the end of the day, Brian, the league table doesn't tell lies. And Salford, at this moment in time, they are the entertainers, very much like Castleford, and they are a pleasure to watch. And well done to Ian Watson for getting the best out of his players. Well, I just going to mention Castleford, because you talk about a t- table doesn't lie. And when you've scored 476 points, <laughs> which Castleford have... Um, now, this has been coming for a while and the, the you know everyone's been uh, watching and can see the way in which the coaching has developed that uh, side. But obviously, other things have gone well, recruitment and bringing players through and so on. Um, can you see Castleford establishing something like, um, you know, the position that Bradford Bulls had for a long time, uh, Leeds have had, uh, Warrington and so on, Wigan... Can they can they make the club that sort of club? Well, they're building that way, and, and hopefully, uh, well, it's been going on for a few years now about the new stadium. So if they get the new stadium, they're looking around about 2020. Why not? They've got the right men at the helm, that is for sure, in Daryl Powell. And the one thing what Daryl Powell will bring, he will bring quality players there because of the yeah. style of play he wants to play. You know yourself uh, now, Brian, in your game, Rub Union, you know, and I think that's why Stuart Lancaster failed miserably at international level. He didn't let the players play what they see. He didn't let the players express themselves. But what you get from Daryl Powell is the players want to play for him because they want to play open, attractive rugby league. And from 1 to 17, or the players who come in and play, they know the jobs from an individual and yeah. as a team collectively. And they're all, they're all there with a smile on the face. You talk about confidence. Casford absolutely lose confidence, not because they're decent players. It's because the coach believes in them. He believes in the philosophy of playing off the cuff rugby league at times, but also as well what he has brought to them. He's brought a bit of a professional attitude in defence as well. Mm-hmm. We found that out. The defence against Huddersfield was very strong. A few weeks ago against Wigan was very strong. So, yeah, Castleford, if they want to build and build and build and get that success, what they've been looking for, the important factor is they've got to keep Daryl Powell there. Yeah. And we also had um, England do, apparently doing well by beating Samoa. Do you think it was a great result or...? <laughs> Just one of those things. <laughs> well, to be honest, uh, to be honest, we. Are, uh, I think the scoreline flattered us uh, uh, in the end. Uh, Samoa, you know, because I was. Uh, I'm not really uh, me being a rugby league player, fellas. I'm not really into the modern day days. I didn't really watch it on the laptop because I don't possess one. <laughs> to be honest with you, so I listened. I listened to it. I'm only a lad from Belial, as I'm sure you'll know in Hunts and Leeds. We uh, oh, yeah. we don't possess them sort of things, mate. To be honest with you, but I listened to it on radio. And it was seemed to be uh, the sound. It was a pretty good first half from England. Uh, the score two late tries in the second half. It's maybe flat the uh, the scoreline from there, but uh, I say a win's a win. They say Wayne Bennett has done it for from a point of view. He wants to bridge some gaps and he wants to uh, you know look at uh, certain players. But I think everybody's known certainly this week my feelings about certainly from a team selection. But uh, a win's a win, and we'll see what happens in the World Cup. Look, let's get your views on the team selection because I you know it, it, we we're going to have this debate um, about the rugby union qualification periods and uh, people have got their own. Uh, views on it. What, what, are you, what are your views about the residents and the, the way that uh, people are allowed to qualify or not? I think it's nonsense. I think it's absolute nonsense. And I'll tell you what, Brian, you know yourself. You played against the Aussies and you know the hatred yeah. uh, regarding it's, it's not a, It's not a hatred personally. You know, you're good mates with Campo. I've got some very good mates from Australia because I played down there at club level and I played at international level. But it's hatred when you're playing sport. And I don't want to see Australians in an English dressing room. It's as simple as that. We have got enough quality in uh, in our Super League. I've you know I've written plenty of names down here. I, I've got 37 names in front of me here, Brian, yeah. who who can realistically do a good job for England. Yeah. So I can't see why we need 
Australians in our side, and certainly two Australians in high end who made his debut for England in 2011, and he was rubbish in 2011, so why should he be called up back at now 34? <laughs> and and, and, uh, and Chris McQueen, who realistically, they're not good enough to play international rugby league, but I don't believe in all this residency. It's quite simply, you keep it to your own, we've got enough talent. Are we good enough to beat Australia New Zealand at this moment in time with the players what we've got? No, we've not. Have we got the right coach? No, we haven't in Wayne Bennett. The sooner we get Daryl Powell into our England setup, and then we can start playing the British way because in all sports now, it seems to be, we seem to want a copy of a people. Let's be his own people. Mm-hmm. Let's play the British way because if you, if you want a copy of the Australians, exactly as the New Zealanders do, well, you're never going to beat them. It's as simple as that. And if you look, certainly in your game as well, to, Brian, what Eddie Jones has brought to the England side, what Eddie Jones has brought, he has seen that them players have got talent. And yeah. what he's doing is giving them freedom and that's, talent can express himself and that's what we need. Wayne mm-hmm. Bennett doesn't do it for us at England. He found that out in the Four Nations. He played players out of positions. He didn't know what his halfback solution was and realistically we was looking to beat Scotland. We only beat Scotland in the last 40 minutes from there. So the sooner we go back to the British style of play, the sooner we go back to the British philosophy, the better for us and let's start doing it, let's start doing it the British way for mine. I understand that. Can you, do you think that... Um... It's possible to combine, um, you know, being the head coach of a club side and doing the international stuff? Well, certainly if you're based in England, yeah, yeah, but uh, he's over because now he's forced most of, well, he's forced everybody to go over to Australia for eight days and he's disrupted all of the Super League. He's, he's wanting this fixture. Now we've got a double header again at the end of this month. All we do is complain about too many, uh, too many games from there. It's a part time job, it's not a full time job, but uh, mm. and I say Wayne Bennett won't be around after the World Cup, mate, anyway, to be honest yeah. with you. The reason why Wayne Bennett got the job is quite simple in the first place. He wanted a coaching job for the World Cup. Nigel Wood, Nigel Wood, who's the main man at the RFL, said, oh, we need to get Wayne Bennett. He, he's a, he's the, uh, the top coach. He has been the top coach. He's been a quality coach as Wayne Bennett. There's, there's no doubt about that. But Nigel Wood, he thought, oh, we need to get Wayne Bennett in. He's the, he, he's, uh, the best coach in the world. But at the end of the day, for mine, as soon as we go back to uh, the British way, Daryl Powell's a man for us. Then we can start competing and hopefully not just get to the World Cup final, but who knows, maybe win it. Well, Daryl, that's tremendously Darryl? forth. No, I don't know what I'm talking about. I've got Daryl on the brain. I've got Daryl on the brain. Gary, sorry, mate. That's tremendously forthright. Um, very pleased. I think uh, you're sitting on the fence a bit there. I know. Well, <laughs> it's, it's good to see someone. It's, it's, it's good to hear someone have the same sort of opinion as myself. Te- mate, right. Tremendous right. contribution. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bernie. Thanks for your time and respect and all the best. Ta ta ta. Well, that was great. That was great. Uh, you know, he's passionate about it, and, and quite rightly so. Well, I'll tell you what, let's just do this now. The uh, World Rugby are going to have the union equivalent of this discussion about residence and about how you qualify for your uh, team. I am quite confident that it's going to pass and it's going to be five years uh, residence. Well, uh, you know, quite confident. I'm not quite confident. I think there's, there's going to be a, a bit of a rebellion. I... I, I I don't believe that it should be anything less than five years. No, yeah. I actually don't think five years is enough personally. Right. But, uh, you know, it, it, you look at it and the big thing is that there are countries like Scotland are desperately need to have that, that early qualification. Yeah. I mean, already they're, they're qualifying a guy, a young prop, a young South African prop, who's, who's not even played rugby in Scotland yet. Yeah. But he's, they've, they've said that he's going to register for Scotland to be an international. You know, well, the argument is that countries with small player bases who want to compete at the top will always bring in players. Yeah, I understand that. However, 
the consequence of getting this wrong and not doing something about it goes far beyond that. Oh, it does. It does. You know, you look at you look at the because because by the end of the day, for for every one or two players, you know, a smaller nation like Scotland can register. You are talking about several more players oh. for England and bigger unions, you know, which will only make them relatively even stronger. Yes. You know, so it, when when it, when it fall when the thing falls out, although Scotland, I think, they've got an understandable concern about this. In the end, the the thing doesn't benefit them as much as it benefits unions like England that have they've got already got a bigger plane. Yes, and 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 the argument is that what it does is if if you have this this qualification, what you what you effectively do mm. is you have to develop your own players. Mm. So you have to spend money on your grassroots, yeah. and, and that's what you know, yeah. rugby really needs. Well, we were going to speak to uh, Scott Britz earlier on, um, but he was busy and quite, he said he's very apologetic, but he's putting his kids to bed. And I have every sympathy, having uh, nine-month-old twins, you have every sympathy. <laughs> Scott, have you, have, you, have you settled down now? Brian, I apologise. <laughs> so right, I was uh, reading to Charlie Stinky Socks. Oh, listen, that's far, listen, that is far more important than coming on here. Um, far more important, but thank you very much uh, for doing so. Yesterday, a bit of an odd day at the office, but um, they had a significant number of players playing, so I, we won't go into that. I'd, I'd rather speak to you about the forthcoming uh, Claremont Challenge. Now, yes. that's going to be significant. Um, Claremont, very exciting when they play well, very quick tempo, you know, you've got Dave Strettle, the ex-mate of yours yep. there, good back three. Um, where do you think you need to, uh, you know, to major, to, to, to set the foundations of a win? Um, definitely it starts at the front front five or the front eight uh, or, or in, the, in the packets. Mm-hmm. They've got a great set piece. We need to dominate there. But uh, this weekend was a good uh, illustration. Uh, the same with Claremont. If you give... Uh, teams like Claremont always the opportunity to run counter-attack mm. or uh, we give away position easily, they're going to hurt you. And that's the same for Claremont. They've got outstanding backs and um, just an outstanding team, so we need to be very clinical uh, this coming weekend. Yeah, you are at school. You know that uh, one of the great things about Saracens is their, is their defensive patterns, the way they're, they're change the way that teams defend and, yeah. and and very strong against the French team it's it's always vitally important to have that defence isn't it yeah they the thing is the players I don't know why is just massive yeah. they're big big and you have to win that vantage line as soon as they get front foot ball as I said their backs is very dangerous uh, then they're difficult to stop and luckily from our point of view we put a lot of emphasis on our d- defence, slowing down the ball, you know, not giving them space, and that's what we try, what we probably do, or try to do this weekend on any other team we play against. Um, and then we've got an outstanding uh, nine, ten, twelve, well, and fifteen, deciding where we play the rugby. So if they make the right decisions, or we just tackle our hot art, <laughs> things will go okay, I guess. Well, that is one of the most impressive aspects of Saracens, and I have been. Impressed the number of times I've seen them this year, where they've played intelligently, no. tremendously, yeah. and, and the decision makers have made habitually the right uh, sort of decisions. How much? Um, I mean, Scott, you and Jamie George swap um, almost uh, every time. 
you've got a bench that uh, that is a significant quality. Do you think you've got the edge there? Uh, we we do like to put our bench on about thirty minutes or twenty minutes to go, and uh, nowadays how the game has evolved from. 20 years ago where there was no benches you are seen as impact players you need to change the tempo of the game and luckily we've we've had a group uh, that's been together for ages from academy from 09 uh, and we know each other very very well um, from, from a tactical point of view we leave it to our 9s, 10s and 15s and the coaches to put on the messages the rest of us just work very hard and you know try to to do the hard yards do you think um, Alex Good? I mean, he's he's a great player, and his vision is is has been key to really part of your success. The fact that he, yep. he comes in so well from fullback and reads the game so well. Yeah, Alex is um, a v- unbelievable special player for us. It's quite astonishing not to see him wearing the fifteen jersey. Yeah. Um, but of course, we appreciate the way we play. Um, people don't always appreciate how how great he is. Um, for us, we can't rate him highly enough. Um, he makes our team tick, and it's it's uh, credit to the individual from how he's grown from uh, a couple of years ago to where he is now. Um, if England doesn't pick him, it's great for us, and we want him in our team. Scott, can I ask you to um, cast your uh, mind to the other uh, final, Gloucester and Stade Francais, and uh, yes. give us your thoughts on that? Uh, it is quite interesting. It's uh, it's felt like this whole merger galvanised uh, the stud players into to show to show what they 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 can do. Mm. Um, of course, from my point of view, I want Gloucester to win. Uh, they've got a great setup. They've got great players and just a great bunch of play um, blokes um, from my point of view. But uh, all, like always, all the French side they can turn it on, uh, score tries out of nothing and. Well, hopefully there would be a double for for all the England sides. Yeah, uh, if 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 Gloucester were to do that, what do you, what do you think? Again, they have to do apart. Obviously, they have to front up up front. But where do you yeah. think the the potential weaknesses are with Stad? Um, for, for me, it's actually what what happened this weekend. I think Stad can get loose sometimes, mm-hmm. and it's and with Gloucester's counter attack and the players they've got with Sharples and all those boys. They can make some dents and score tries out of nothing. So for me, it's it's from from Gloucester's point of view. They just need to be patient with the defence, and if uh, the opportunity comes, they need to take it. Yeah, it's Laidlaw's last game for him as well, isn't it? So he's um, he's going to want to come out as uh, as a winner for that one, isn't he? Yeah, he'll like always. Uh, the type of individual he is is very competitive, and he'll boss boss um, stud around. He'll take ownership and he'll. He wants to say goodbye on a high note. Um, it's, it's sad that he's leaving, but uh, he's a great player. Yeah. Scott, um, let, we'll, I'll let you get back to what must now be an oasis of peace and calm now that you've, uh, <laughs> you've managed to get your, your kids to bed. Uh, thanks very much, and really the best of, uh, best of luck in the final next week. Go and take it, mate. Yep. Yeah, Brian, thank you for all the support. It's, uh, hopefully we can do it for England. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Bye. Can do it for England. There you go. Um, said with a South African accent, but nothing wrong with that in the end. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've discussed various uh, World Rugby issues. Can we finish with this one? The World Cup draw happens yeah. next week. Now, bearing in mind the utter cock-up that they made of the last one, 
two years out, and yep. the Wales then, you know, were not anywhere near uh, in terms of ranking what they turned out to be when they turned up at the World Cup and you had the group of death, so to speak, which actually was not only unfair on England, but it wasn't the reason England went out early. I'm not making no. that excuse. It wasn't fair on Wales, it wasn't fair on Australia, it wasn't fair on Fiji either. We've got potentially the same thing with South Africa. Yeah, yeah. Because South Africa have, have dropped all the eighth at the moment. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And they are, they are. I tell you what, by the time the World Cup comes around, they're not going to be playing like the eighth-ranked team in the world. And whoever gets them is going to have a significant disadvantage. Oh, they will, yeah. I mean, there's no getaway from it. seventh, I think, the ranked. I mean, you, th- you think that, yeah, all right, ranked. South Africa are just in the processes of changing mm. the way they structure their teams. Mm. It's going to take them a year, two years to get, get it get it right and get back up to speed. So they'll be really coming up to their peak just as they get to the World Cup. So, the, you know, the fact that you, you can, you, we could end up with another three senior well, look, teams involved. Yeah, we've got, we've got Wales at eight. Yeah, yeah, Wales no. are down there as well. And Wales will be turning around. I mean, they've, they've had a bad season this season, really, by their own standards. Um, but, you know, Warren Gatlin's going to be back there. He'll, he'll try and straighten things out. At least put them back on an even kill. Um, you know why? Do you, why do they have to make it two years out? Well, I don't know. You know well, rugby. I, I suppose they just want to have a, a nice trip to Kyoto. You know, they've got to go there for some reason. Have a free, have a freebie. All the, but all the said, world. No, but I really don't understand this because they made the point about you need to get organised and people need to know where they're going. Well, actually, they're not going to Japan. They're not going to Japan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Does it make any difference which it's, city you're it's, in? It's not that bigger island. No. So, Does it make yeah. any difference whether you know where you're training? Yeah. To me, I can't. I just cannot see. Well, the, the argument they'd use, Brian, if you if you think about it, what they say is right for for 22 teams or yeah. 20 teams for a World Cup. What what you what you're going to do is you're going to say you're going to be in this city. Now, okay, so you've got those. Teams need to have their own training grounds. They need to have their own, find their own places, uh, and perhaps some of those logistics do take time. Uh, you've got to send people. They don't over take there. two years. Don't take two years. Well, you know, you're saying that, but you think for some of the smaller unions, perhaps it does take that sort of time to be able to find one that they can afford. Well, that should be part of the big document. <clears throat> then they should be identifying within the group structures which um, facilities will be available. And that should be part of the inspection process so people can be confident that whoever gets it is absolutely fine. Wherever they are, yeah. Wherever I, they I, are. I agree with you. I mean, I'm not arguing with you. I, I, I'm agreeing with you. I'm trying to play devil's advocate here and say, well, there's logistical reasons why this should be, but there isn't. Not really. <laughs> uh, and, and the argument is that they do it because they want to do it. And they, they it helps them with their marketing. It helps them with if you like, that side of the preparation. I'm, I'm being told that it's intended to give the host uh, nation the maximum time to, to prepare for the... To marketing. For the marketing and the tournament and so on. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I, again, I think... Um, well, certainly with Japan, where they're ultra-organised anyway. Yeah. And they've just, you know, they've they've they've, they've done football World Cups. They've they've done Olympics. You know, they are... They, there is no question that they will be ready and they will have done all this. So and it will also be probably the best World Cup that's ever been. Yes, quite quite probably. Um, I have no doubt that it will be well, will be, be superbly organised. The football World Cup, which I went to over there, um, was again uh, superbly organised. And I just think the need for them to have this extra time, when you look at the way that 
potentially the earliness of the decision can prejudice the actual rugby and what the product is, it seems to me to be a nonsense. But um, I'm sure that... uh, I'm sure there will be a counter argument that's available for world rugby, but whatever it is, I just I don't I don't think it it holds water. Well, you know, I, I suppose from from world rugby's point of view, they they like to know themselves what's going on, and so in that sense, it gives them time to organise their hotels. You know, they've got to make sure they've got a decent hotel for the chairman <laughs> and the president. You know, and the president's, the president's and the president, wife. The president's wife. You yeah. know, all right, okay. And the press secretary. Well, that's it. That's time, time to end before we go down the uh, route of uh, slander, um, which is quite possible. You've been listening to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with the Telegraph and QBE Business Insurance. My thanks to my co-host Jeff Probin for joining me in the studio this week, and as always to our producer Abby Patterson. Remember, you can get in contact with us throughout the week via the hashtag FullContact. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Good night. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.